action. Welcome to Torn Stubbs, the trash movie podcast with me, Robert Gershenson, photographer and head of podcast at Trash, which can be found at movetotrash.co.uk and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies and we're back for season three. Season three. Hey, season three, that's sickening. <laughs> oh my God. Rupal. We are back. We are back and we're going to concentrate on the films of Xavier Dolan. This season. Who I, for some reason, I say Xavier Dolan. So I apologise if I... It probably is Xavier. I always say Xavier because I ruined the French language. We're going to butcher the French, basically. We are. Yeah, get ready. An entire season (laughs) butchering the French. We're going to start with his feature film debut as writer and director, I Killed My Mother, which came out 10 years ago this year. It debuted at the Director's Fortnight at the Cannes Film Festival. Got an eight-minute standing ovation. Yeah, which that's... That sounds exhausting. It does. They must have really liked it. Just stand in there banging their hands together. Yeah, I know. They just forgot what they were supposed to... Skin graphs all round. <laughs> <laughs> just, just flaky, bloody skin by oh. the end of it. Where do I go now? I look like I killed my mother too. <laughs> so he worked as a actor. He was a child actor. Um, and also the French dub for a lot of American movies. So he was Ron yeah. Weasley in the Harry Potter franchise but the French dub. He was Jacob the Wolf Boy in Titanic. Oh my God, he actually got into Titanic. Sorry, not Titanic, Twilight. Oh, okay, I was going to (laughs) say. He was far too young. Yeah, he's obsessed with Twilight. He is. Titanic. Yeah, who isn't? Who isn't obsessed with Twilight and Titanic? (laughs) Um, And he was Peter in Hunger Games. Peter. Peter. (laughs) (laughs) Shout back to Black Christmas, y'all. Y'all, Peter. (laughs) Um, But this one, this was his self-funded debut, I Killed My Mother. He managed, for what I understand, he managed to raise 400,000 Canadian dollars of his own money and then got um, like a finishing grant of another 400,000 from the SODEC, which is a Quebecian cultural development society. So it's $800,000 for your first feature film. And he started writing the script at age 16. So it sees a young boy called Hubert, played by Dolan himself, and he has a less than happy relationship with his mother. She's a little bit uptight. He's a little bit bratty. He's going out with a guy called Antonio. And Antonio's mum is almost like... Antonin. Antony. So Ant's mum is almost like the complete opposite to Hubert's, whereas Hubert's mum is really uptight and really quite... um, uh, strict. The other mum is very freewheeling. She's not afraid to she's a have cool a fuck She's a hip mum. She's, she's like a mean girl's mum. Yeah, she's uh, <laughs> she's Amy Poehler. <laughs> yeah. um, but she's not afraid to have a fuck round and the boy can see that, you know, they've just been having sex. She works for a creative agency. You know, she doesn't mind that he's, you know, smoking on a little bit of puff, you know, that and all that. So there's that, there's that relationship there's that dichotomy and the film is about their relationship and how it unfolds and it's not really a a, a strict narrative it's more of a observation piece yeah it's yeah i mean some of its observations like the two mothers is is quite on the nose and it's quite obvious Mm. um but the, the a lot of the observations about 
the relationship between Hubert and his mother, played by Anne Dorval, is just fantastic and just so interesting and complicated, kind of infuriating in a lot of ways because they are such strong personalities, both of them. And they clearly have spent way too much time together and they constantly pick at each other. They kind of yell at each other in the car. It's just this really fraught relationship that is really interesting. And believable. Like yeah. I've had I've had years ago so many arguments with my dad in the car. If I say, oh, I think you're a bit too close to that or, or just slow down because my opinion is I'm in the car. I need to look out for myself as well <laughs> if I think someone's driving badly and he would say well when you learn to drive you can make these decisions leave me alone and it's similar to 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 the conversations that hubert would have with his mum. yeah like i don't want to listen to the, the the politics radio show or something or you have alzheimer's do a survey do a survey <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> why why doesn't he get on with her it feels like they've just he's kind of gr- outgrown her or he blames her for, you know, the the situation they're living in. He, his father is completely absent. He's, you don't actually know what's happened to his dad, do you? You just know that he's not there. Well, we see him later on. Oh, of course. Because yeah, he yeah, sends him do. to boarding school. But he, yes. the dad... Didn't want to have a kid, basically. Yeah, the dad was like, I don't want to do this. So he left. Maybe yeah. sees Hubert or texts him once a year, Christmas, Easter, whatever. Yeah. So you you kind of feel like maybe she's she's like a real kind of... Um, quite a tragic figure where she was abandoned by her husband yeah. had to raise her son on her own has done the best that she can but she's kind of raised a bit of a brat and oh a hundred percent he is yeah such a precocious spoiled but yeah. spoiled without being spoiled yeah it's not like he's a privileged little rich kid he's just a really unappreciative little shit and he's you know he he says awful things to her yeah like really awful things like he says something like when i try to imagine what the worst mother would be i can't do worse than you yeah he says that to her face <laughs> it's really awful and it it's such a bold choice to make that your main character the guy you're supposed to root for or have some kind of empathy for is just such a brat yeah and i like i did you find that off-putting at all because i was I struggled to like him. I could kind of understand him, but I struggled to like him. I, want, I don't necessarily have to like a character to be interested in them. You know, I don't particularly like Alex DeLarge in The Clockwork Orange, but <laughs> but he's very charismatic. And that's, yeah. in my head, that is a, a teenager because the film is about, or rather the book is about a 14-year-old or 15-year-old who goes on the rampage. And then the film, same age, but played by a man in his mid-30s yeah. <laughs> or late 20s. Um, but, you know, I don't have to like a character. It's an in- This Hubert is an incredibly interesting character to watch because in terms of portrayal of a teenager, it's pretty accurate. Yeah. Because, you know, he can go from trying to manipulate her by making the pasta, cleaning up, because he wants her to approve that he can move out into his own flat. At 16 years old. At 16, which, you know, I mean, Europe is always ahead of us in terms of things like that, so I don't see that as the issue. What I see is him acting manipulatively and then flying off the handle when it doesn't work. Like a brat. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it's very very real. Yeah, definitely. And I think 
I could kind of um, relate to the fact that he's he just wants to grow up. Like he's desperate to grow up and be independent and kind of have his own life away from her. Well, he wants to grow up without doing the growing up. Yeah, exactly. He just wants to be considered... I have grown up, but you haven't because you act like an idiot. Yeah, yeah. If you if you behave that way at work, you're going to get fired. Yeah, you know, it's kind of he's desperate to be a grown up without actually kind of earning. Yeah, being a grown up. And do we have that opinion because we are closer to the mum's age than we are to probably him? Probably. I felt really sorry for her. <laughs> it was she was such a sad. She's she was kind of sad without being pathetic a pathetic sad character yeah she's she felt she felt very kind of uh solid and like she wasn't particularly phased by much of what he was saying because maybe she's used to it well that was gonna be one of my other questions is she fucking with him or has she got to the point in their relationship where she's like i'll just let this ride and i'll just do what i want because nothing's effective because we we've come in not at the beginning of their relationship we've come in halfway through so we have a kind of distorted viewpoint yeah we only see it as we see from this point but they've been going on a lot longer than this yeah i think she's just got used to it hasn't she she doesn't she only rises to his brattishness when she's kind of got pushed into a corner essentially but she when she does rise Oh, yeah, she goes for it. It's one extreme to the other. She's either completely asleep to it, mm. like, you know, turning a blind eye, having a, a conversation with herself, or she's slapping him in the car, or she's going into the video shop and just screaming at him. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of wonder where he gets it from, don't you? <laughs> she's, kind of, she's kind of her own worst enemy. She's brought it on herself a little bit. Kind of. But the reason I ask, is she fucking with him? Because when he says that he's going to, to Ants, to his boyfriend's, on Saturday night. Yeah. She almost either doesn't know or she purposely forgets and then arranges a dinner with her best mate for him to go along too. But this is right at the start. Yeah, I remember, but didn't she didn't maybe he just hadn't told her that he had plans for Saturday. No, night. no, he he did. That was the thing in the car. And then oh. later on she was like we're going to whoever's for dinner. Oh, I missed that. And then I guess she just thought he would just have to cancel his plans because her friend's coming over. But that's not that respectful. Mm. Like, she if she wants him to grow up, she obviously needs to treat him like an adult. Yeah. But I guess it's, it's it must be difficult if someone's acting like a brat. It's yeah. those weird, weird years. But there's no, another instance with the, the apartment. When he first pitches the idea to her, she seems quite receptive to it. And then the next day, it's boom, no, you're, you're too young. But, yeah. Like, we kind of have to assume that he has had these crackpot ideas before and she's used to that as well. She's used to him being like, I'm going to buy a pony or I'm going to go live in, you know, somewhere else, aren't I? <laughs> Are you talking from experience? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Did you ever get your pony? I don't want to live here anymore. No, I didn't want to leave home. I was like, mate, don't make me leave. I don't want to go. <laughs> they changed the locks. They were like, you're going to university. Get out of our house. You've lived all over. You've lived in Brighton. You've lived in Cambridge. You lived in... Yeah, I got over it. You live in Manchester for a bit? No. No. How do you feel about the style of this film? Straight off the bat. It was... Interesting going back to this film because I had seen Tom at the Farm and I'd seen Heartbeats. Yes. Um, which are show two different sides of his style, but we'll obviously get into that. Yeah. 
but it was interesting going back to this because it still immediately felt like a, a Xavier Dolan film and it still had that very specific vision that he has even though it's not quite as candy pop colors as heartbeats or as Lawrence anyways um it had his style it, mm. it felt like a, a Xavier Dolan film completely because there, there were those great there's those great flourishes with like the sped up time lapse paint scene and um the black and white to camera kind of confessions that he does it's uh similar to Sofia Coppola where she came out with her first film version Suicide and you just knew that was her style and she yeah. knew it and that style kind of continued and with I Killed My Mother it just feels like Xavier Dolan it's quite impressive that he had such a specific vision straight off the bat yeah it's, it's wonderful I mean some of the framing is ugly the lighting yeah. is flat but you can see but it doesn't feel cheap no it doesn't that's and thing. that's yeah I think that's because the emotion is there Quite often when a film looks ugly and has bad framing and there's no nothing there for you to emotionally connect with, that's when it feels amateur. Yeah, but also like the sound design doesn't feel cheap. Like often you can tell a low budget film if yeah, the sound the is sound bad. is always the worst thing. But the sound is really good in this. Well, it's just, it's very basic. It's not yeah. trying to be anything other than clear, crisp audio. Yeah. Annie Leibovitz put it in a really good way. She was asked about her early work and she said, my early work was like sketching and later on I was painting. Hmm. And you can see he is sketching here, but he's quite advanced on in his sketching period. Hmm. He's almost ready to take the leap to oil paint. I wonder if it's because he has the script for four years so he had a lot of time to really think about this and i guess it helps if you've written the script that you're going to direct so you have already visually thought you know visually plotted out the film so he may have already known certain things um and also he's just a, a lover of of um art and fashion so I don't know how involved he was in set dressing and things like that, but I imagine he was heavily involved. Mm. So everything looks, even though, you know, there's only a few kind of sets and stuff, or that actually it looks like it's on location rather than a set. Oh, 100%. But he, it doesn't look cheap. It doesn't look thrown together. It doesn't look like he's just shooting in his best friend's living room. Yeah. It look, he's created his own, this own world for his film. Yeah. So Yeah, the, the house that he lives in with his mum, looks really dark and claustrophobic and the With house stair, that, weird stairs everywhere yeah really weird stairs yeah but then when he goes to visit his boyfriend's house it's very light it's very bright it's got art on the walls art and on the walls and... it's very tasteful yeah there's a real there's a real thought process you can see there's been clear decisions been made there yeah how what did you think about the like the to camera confessions of black and white bits I didn't mind them. Mm. I, I I thought they were, they were great because then eventually they get tied in to the film later. You realise that he's not talking to us. Yeah. He's talking to himself. And I love the fact that when you see the footage on his video camera, when his mum finds the footage, yeah. it doesn't look like it has looked in the film to us. It looks, it's just a static shot of him in the bath or something yeah. with, the, with the tiles in the background. Mm -hmm. It's not 
artful black and white close up on his lips and eyes and everything. Yeah, very it's, good. Yeah, it's not that he has shot this beautifully tasteful <laughs> confession diary. No, it's like a horrible vlog. Yeah, it is. It's like it's before YouTube. It's nowadays he would be on YouTube doing this. Yeah, he would. Did he leave the camcorder with the tapes there purposely so his mum would find them? Possibly. I, I, I feel like he just doesn't really care. He says a lot of this stuff to her face anyway. Yeah. So what does he have to lose from her watching the videos? But in one of them, he says, if my mother and I were strangers, I'm sure we'd get along. So there are things he's saying in isolation to her. There are things he's saying on the videotapes as opposed to to her face in the heat of the moment. Yeah. Because that's a more considered, thought out statement as opposed to you have Alzheimer's. And if I can think of a mother who loves their son more, I won't yeah. think of you or whatever it is he says in the moment. And does that's he way that... more hurtful. Yeah. But then he also says in the video, something like God gave me the wrong mother. So there's hurtful things in there as well. Yeah. I didn't hate the the kind of confessional things. I thought it was very much in the style of kind of European yeah. cinema. Um, Even though, well, yes, European, but he's Canadian, but French. European. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but he's... That's the interesting thing that I that I find interesting about Xavier Dolan is that he makes these very art house friendly films. But when you look at his kind of top 10 favorite films, they're really mainstream. Yeah, like Titanic yeah. and... He, Home Alone and Mrs. Doubtfire. And, and It. He loved yeah. It, which is why he's ended up in the, in the sequel. Because it was one of his top 10 films of 2017. Yeah. So he has very, very mainstream taste in terms of what he watches. But then he his films are actually very indie art house. Well, I think later on we see a concerted effort to be more mainstream. But okay. we can come to those later. Yeah. I haven't got that far in my viewing yet. So Okay. Yeah. Later on, today, when the podcast is finished, <laughs> Huber asks, what would you do if I died tonight? Oh my God. And he walks away. But she then replies to herself, I'd die tomorrow. Why doesn't she just say it to him? Why can't she say that sort of stuff to her son? Well, that's, that's, like, that's a real hallmark of... Xavier Dolan's films is characters not actually expressing their genuine feelings to each other. Mm. And it's almost like it's too fraught. The relationship is too fraught and they found a way to exist together without communicating properly. Like they're communicating all the time, but badly, but they can't actually be genuine with each other. And that's the real heartbreaking thing about their relationship. And when she said, I die tomorrow, that's the first time that you get a real, any real sense of just how deeply she cares for him because she can seem quite ambivalent or angry or irritated. But then when she says, I would, I die tomorrow, it's like she's hit you in the chest. Yeah. You really, you really feel it because it's really sad. <laughs> Is that the emotional peak of the film? Possibly because then that tips it over into when, you know, it's gradually... Does it gradually? I don't know. But at the end, they kind of have a reunion on the beach yeah. where they, where they had, were together as kids. Yeah. When, she, when he was a kid. Um, not when she was a kid, clearly, <laughs> no, because he was, was alive. Be <laughs> um, yeah, it was kind of the beginning of the audience realising maybe that there could be a reconciliation and mm-hmm. this maybe wouldn't end in tragedy. 
there are moments where you really feel like it's going to go really quite horrifically wrong. Like he pushes her up against the sideboard in the kitchen. And that's when she really is like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. But in a really quiet way, which makes you realize she is really. Yeah. The quieter people go, (laughs) the less okay they are. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When he was on drugs talking to her, I found it really cringe and completely embarrassing for the character. Nothing about the performance, nothing about the filmmaking, just for that character. I just thought, how embarrassing for you that A, you're in this this state in front of your parents, but also you're saying these sorts of things in a false way. And the day after, he says, I was on speed. What was her reaction? I can't remember now. How did she react? I think she's disappointed. I think she's completely crestfallen. Mm. It's really subtle. She sort of just seemingly silently accepts it. Yeah. I think she wanted what he was saying to be real. Oh, right. Yeah. Maybe it was real because he was high. He, You know, all of his barriers were down and he was just speaking completely truthfully. But there's that word maybe. Mm. You don't know, do you? You can't take it as fact because he was high. He could yeah. say any old shit. Yeah. I thought, I just thought that Anne Dorval was just amazing. She kind of stole the show. Really? Yeah. She had, she really reminded me of Shirley MacLaine. She had a real Shirley MacLaine quality to her. Yeah. That's not the life she chose, but it's the life yeah. she's having to lead. Yeah. And she, if she could leave, she would. Is that what you're saying? Well, Do you feel that if she could, if she could leave Hubert, she'd be happy if suddenly she woke up and Hubert was gone, hmm. she could live the life that she was meant to. Is that what you're saying? Is that what you're saying, Joshua? I'm talking about Shirley MacLaine, the actress. Well, I'm talking about... <laughs> I'm thinking of Shirley Valentine. That's what I thought. That's exactly what I thought you thought I said. I was like, is he talking about Shirley Valentine? <laughs> My question still stands. <laughs> Possibly. She may have wanted to just... Up and leave just go but she didn't she seems to have kind of her own life she hasn't got any romance in her life but she has her friends yeah she has her job she does have a life it's not all about him i think he kind of occupies enough he occupies the perfect space amount of space in her life Mm. he just happens to be an absolute pain in the arse apparently it's quite autobiographical yeah well he's he has said that he had a very strange relationship with his parents. Yeah. Like he went to boarding school, didn't he? When he was eight years old. Did he? I think his, he said something like, I just don't get why people do that. Why would you send your kids away? He said that he was a very hyperactive kid Mm -hmm. and his mother couldn't handle it anymore. And so at eight years old, he was sent to boarding school in Quebec. Um, And because he was young and gay, he was bullied relentlessly. Shit. And that's why he escaped into like really mainstream Hollywood stuff like Mrs. Doubtfire and stuff and American sitcoms he says that he loves as well. But then he says that he was brought up by women and it's like, well, were you? Were you at a convent? Like, how were you raised by women? Is he being in, you know, is he saying that in the artistic way by saying I was brought up by female artists as in I was into female artists they're the ones who raised me. Yeah, maybe. Much in the same way that sometimes I joke that I was raised by Super Mario and Steven Spielberg. <laughs> yeah. My two gay dads. Oh, I love my dead gay dads. 
I think some. I think Anne Dorval is a is a big figure in his life. She's kind of his muse. Yeah, he, she's in a lot of his other films. Yeah, but he met her. I think when he was when he was about fifteen. I think he met her on a film or a TV set, and they talked a lot about films and writing and stuff. And I think she said something like, "Write something emotionally honest." Yeah. And then he brought her this script, and then ended up directing her in the film. So That's she amazing. Obviously, obviously liked the the script. Yeah. So I think she's one of the big uh, influences in his life still. Yeah, because she's played a mum for him quite a lot, hasn't she? Well, she she appears in the next one in Heartbeats. Yeah. She plays the mum of the guy he's obsessed with, who I can't remember the name of. Oh, Nicholas. Nicholas, yeah. yeah. Do you remember when he's having a wank and then she turns up at the flat? No, I can't remember that at all. And she's having a cigarette with him. Well, that sounds like her. She, she <laughs> leaves the money for Nicholas. That's her. Uh, Has he got to step up? Has he got to step up and change his ways? He just needs to grow up. He needs to... Like, sometimes you do think that he should just get out of the house because he needs to learn what the real world is. Mm. Like, maybe the best thing she could do is actually to let him go and live in that flat with his boyfriend and figure out just how tough it is. Because he's obviously not growing up while he's living with her but then maybe he will because the end of the film hints at this reconciliation where they've they're maybe possibly now on on the same wavelength literally as waves crashing in front of them they're on the beach terrible metaphor again um, joshua is a writer <laughs> what happens after the credits do they go back to arguing mm. or has a a truce been formed is he an artist who the the kid Hubert? Um, well, he's at school and he's studying art. Yeah, maybe he'll start channeling all of his weird mummy issues into his art because there's that great montage of all the f- paint flying around. Yeah, the are fake we, Jackson Pollock. Yeah, are we supposed to think that he's going to discover that he's a great artist or a bad artist or just an artist? Yeah. Why? What do you think is going to happen? Well, the end of the film hints that he's run away. Well, not hints. It tells us he's run away to the beach that they. They spent time on when they used to get on when he yeah. was six. We used to talk when I was six. Because I had nobody else to talk to. That's yeah. so sad. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, it says that, you know, he's visiting his childhood home. So is that his way of sort of resetting them to how they used to be by reconnecting with the environment that they were in when they were getting on? Well, that's what I got from that scene. Mm. Otherwise, what what purpose did it serve? But does that mean that it's as open and closed as that? Boom, we're going to get on because we've re- reconnected here. Or are they just going to go back to arguing, which is the more realistic yeah. thing that I think might happen? They're going to spend their whole lives arguing. That's mm. just the way they are. That's what people are like they're with They're both parents. so prickly and they're both picking at each other constantly. I don't think that they will ever have any other way. That's just the way it is. Do you think she loves him too much? Hmm, I don't know. Because there isn't... There isn't much sense of the caring, is there? In terms of her looking after him, and it's all very fractious and fraught. Well, she cares for him in the sense that she gets up at 5.30 every morning Mm. so she can get to work, so she can feed him, so she can put clothes on his back, so he has a place to live. And she says that to the principal, doesn't she? She's, yeah. She screams it at the principal. But is there a case that she is loving him too much? She is enabling his behaviour. 
how much do you think his sexuality comes into play in their relationship? Because he's not out to her. No, he can't be his truthful self. No. So in place of that, does he put up a barrier of anger? Because if he if he connects with her on an emotional level, an emotion like a genuine emotional level as opposed to just constant pushback and anger, he'd have to come out eventually. Yeah. And he doesn't know that she's already found out that he's gay. Yeah. And, and so, that she's offended that he didn't tell her. And she's completely fine about it. Yeah. She's just not fine that he's keeping it a secret from her. Yeah. Like, do you think that she could have handled that situation better? Do you think she should have actually sat him down or had, like had a conversation where she said, look, I know he's your boyfriend? Or would that have just ended absolutely terribly? <laughs> I think it would have ended terribly. I think she knows that he can't engage on that friendly emotional level mm. and that he might see it as an attack. Yeah. Yeah, he probably would. But as the grown-up, surely she needs to say, you know, actually get rid of all the bullshit mm. and cut through it and be like, look, I know this is a huge thing in your life. I know that aunt is your boyfriend. But sometimes being the adult doesn't mean you are the adult. No, I know. Yeah. No one's ever really an adult. No. It's just the age. Yeah, it's, it's pure fantasy. Yeah. No one's ever grown up. No, God, no. Like my granddad used to say to me, don't get old. Because he felt like he was 25 or whatever. But he well, he was walk. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't walk. No, he was shuffle around and be like, don't get old. Look at me dance. Look at me. I'm so freaking old. Um, I love the fact that Xavier Dolan cast incredibly attractive men basically in every single role. Yes. Like Ant <laughs> Antonin, his boyfriend, is so attractive. Yes. And even Antonin's mum's shag is yes. so attractive. <laughs> it's the, the the male gaze yeah. in both senses it's the gay of the gaze. words. It's the gay gaze. He's yeah, it's great. It's, it's like, very yeah, much a fan service. Yeah, well it's just very much a a gay man's fantasy, both in what we want to see as audience members, but also what he wants to see in his films. Yeah. He clearly has a taste. Oh, absolutely. Like kind of French, dark hair, mm. straight acting. That is that is apparently Xavier Dolan's taste. Well, and just, I'm not go, complain. <laughs> just go by his films. Yes, that is his taste. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the Xavier Dolan grammar, the visual mm. style. What things did you notice immediately from this film? He loves, loves um, filming people from behind, walking away from the camera, and you are following that person down a corridor or down the street. Yes. Every single film, he loves shooting people's backs. Did he do that in this? I can't remember. Yes, he did. Did when, it? Because his mum was walking down the corridor somewhere. Oh, yes. When she, yeah. she was like, um, you He's, fucking told them I was dead or yeah, some shit yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he loves slow motion. There's Love slow motion in this slow film. Motion. Great slow motion. Um, hip music by bands I've never heard of. Really, his his music choices could rival Tarantino. They're so great. Tarantino's got, I think, got the edge on everyone just because A, he's Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. And B, his, he's got this weird thing where he can pick a song that will become the new zeitgeist. Yes. But whereas... Xavier Dolan is operating in a completely different realm to um, Tarantino. Tarantino is mainstream, yeah. indie as mainstream. Xavier Dolan is still indie as indie, but he, he finds a really cool way to have really hip songs by the bands that no one's ever heard of, and also classical music. 
and they don't jar. Mm. They don't jar at all. That's true. Yeah, it's very eclectic. Like the the slow mo section where he's ch- the dream of him chasing his mum in her wedding dress. Yeah, that's got that gorgeous string. A very famous song. I have no idea what it's called. Strings number one. Adagio I don't know. to something or other. Yes. Um, but yeah. that's another thing. Surreal and expressionist asides, mm. little clips, little moments that are fantasy. Yeah, like explosions of colour. Yeah. Like the, the, the actual, the Pollock painting time-lapse thing is actually quite restrained. Because if you, when we go into his other films, we'll see that he does a lot more audacious, brightly lit stuff. But that is still kind of embryonic fantasies Dolan mm-hmm. um, with the painting and stuff. Yeah. Lots of screaming and shouting. Characters who yell at each other for extended periods of time is very much a Dolan thing. He also started out exactly how he intended to go on, which was not tolerating critics who wanted to take a pop, pop at him. So he kind of made this joke about the fact that he made I Kill My Mother when he was 20 years old. And that means that he beat Orson Welles because he made Citizen Kane when he was 25. And it was a joke. It was a a Mm. funny joke. And the press hated him for it. And he kind of said, I'm a big mouth. That's what I'm like. You know, this is me. I'm not going to apologize for it. And he's kind of been like that throughout the rest of his career. And yeah, I, I like that about him. I like that, A, he is clearly pretentious. He's very arty. He's got... He's very sure about the direction that he wants to go in. The only problem is when you are a pretentious arty person or seen as a hipster, sense of humour often isn't perceived to go along with that. Yeah, that's true, actually. So I think if you... But he does have a sense of humour. It's apparent in his films. A hundred percent. But but when he comes to himself. But the overriding themes and the overriding presentation is very artistic and very hipstery and very... Uh, sort of fashion forward. Yes. Uh, very pretentious, which is fine. I like that. But who gives a fuck what the press say? Oh, who no. gives a fuck what anyone says about no. any artist's work? Even this podcast. It's all subjective. This is, this is just us having a chat. It's no more relevant or no less relevant than any magazine or any critic out there. And Absolutely. I wouldn't even say we are critics. We're just two people that discuss things that we like. You might say. Don't like. We're wafflers. I would never say we're wafflers. <laughs> but he... Um, but I potato wafflers. He's deleted his Twitter, so maybe he's kind of... Dis- Who hasn't? I've deleted mine. But maybe he's decided that he's just not going to engage in the conversation with critics anymore. Because I think that's what he said. He doesn't want to engage in the negativity. Yeah, which is yeah. fair enough, because Twitter can be a real echo chamber for kind of abuse and just nastiness. Yeah, so, well, that's what it's become. Yeah. Would you watch this again? Yeah, I would. I I really enjoy his films. I really like Xavier Dolan. I think he's great. And I think that he's making stories as a gay filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And he's telling stories about gay people and straight people, men and women. And it's all, yeah, it's all, it's all original and unique. And he's not falling into the trap of many gay filmmakers, which is telling an overwrought coming out story yeah. or the dead boyfriend because he's a druggy story, which I've talked about before. Or anything to do with HIV, mad. AIDS, epidemic. Yeah, he's not touched any of that stuff. He's, re- he's more interested in the contemporary gay man or bi man or straight man 
or transgender, as we'll see in the next film, mm-hmm. and just what their experience is in the modern world. Yeah. Thank God for Xavier Dolan. So that was I Killed My Mother, directed by Xavier Dolan. So the next film he made was Heartbeat. We've already covered that on the podcast. That was our episode two, I believe. Was it? Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah, it was in our first batch of recording. There hasn't been enough time past for us to say anything different about it. So go and listen to that episode. And next week, we are going to continue on to his third film. Give us a hint as to what that could be, Joshua. It has... One of his best actresses in it. And she's already appeared in one of his films so far. Brilliant. I wonder who that could be. Head on to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, and tune in and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a damn episode. And Xavier Dolan is not on Twitter, but we are at Torn Stubbs Pod. So come give us a follow and say hello. While you're at it, also... Check out Track by Track, the Trash Music Podcast. That's our sister podcast hosted by Editor-in-Chief of Trash, Dan Ball, and Will Warren, contributor to Trash. And they go through albums literally track by track. They're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, and TuneIn. That sounds great. We are off to the video store for 45 minutes. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut. <laughs>